This episode of Defender Resolves First is brought to you by Big Mike's Bandages. Whether you have an invisible face, a cow face, or just look like Gary, cover yourself up with the best bandages possible. But don't just take my word for it. Here's Ben with his recollection of his use of Big Mike's Bandages. Big Mike's Bandages. What you can't see can and will hurt you. Alright, welcome back to another episode of Defender Resolves Per. It is a three-peat now for the book club. I'm joined today by my book club co-host, uh, that's Baked Goods, also known as Taylor. What's going on, Taylor? <laughs> this guy's just laughing up the storm. <sighs> Nothing much, just excited to be back. Well, um, as everybody who listens uh, by this point probably well knows, Taylor joins me as the co-host on these because Mike can't read, um, so he will edit the episode, uh, he'll listen, hopefully he'll learn a lot since he's not reading the book. <laughs> um, also with us, for the first time on the podcast, we've got Feeble Blobber, aka Ben. What's going on, Ben? Ahoy! Uh, tired after a long day, uh, but I'm, I'm here to talk invisibly. Yes, so uh, we're all joining you recording on a late Sunday night. We've all had strenuous days today, um, and we're going to be... Mother's Day, too. Yeah, it's Mother's Day, so we were all kind of busy. Taylor was on a flight, Ben was entertaining the family, and I was uh, cleaning the house company clean style for when that uh, illustrious Zero Skitter 12 is here. But we're talking about The Invisible Man today. We read the novel, we're going to talk about the deck, Pretty slim book, uh, read by H.G. Wells. We all read the Penguin Classics paperback edition, um, if anybody at home is following along, which would be pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, So I'm just going to toss out, generally, Ben, what do you think about the book? Uh, so generally speaking, I found Invisible Man to be an enjoyable book, um, especially given how short it is. Um, I, I typically read to massive tomes. So I, I liked the book uh, as a whole. Um, it's sort of an interesting window into some early science fiction, uh, especially given the rest of H.G. Wells's books. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get into some of my other thoughts on some of those later. <laughs> That's yeah, all I'll absolutely. say. All right. Taylor, what did you think? So see, this is the part where we ask the expert and they come up with some like clever thing about the book. And then I just sit here. I'm like, yeah, it was cool. I liked it. <laughs> but for real, it was interesting, like seeing a little bit more about this character since I don't know. I feel like people like know the invisible man, but they don't know like anything about him. They just yep. know that he's invisible. So like getting a little bit of the backstory and seeing inside his mind was also pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty neat. Um, I, I think of the three book club reads we've had so far between like the epic poem of Beowulf, Moon Knight comic books and Invisible Man, probably my least favorite um, book, but my favorite deck. So that's like of the three we've done. So interesting um, kind of juxtaposition there. So for the podcast, Ben went and read a ton of HG Wells books just to kind of get a feel for the man um, and his writing. So Ben's our Wells scholar for, for the evening. Um, so I'm kind of wondering how you felt about the book in the context of his, his works. Well, I, I don't know about being a Wells scholar. Uh, I only read four or five books of his. 
Oh, uh, I only read five years. books. Yeah, c- comparatively, then <laughs> you are the scholar. <laughs> All right. Um, so the five books I read were obviously The Invisible Man, The War of the Worlds, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, um, The First Men in the Moon, and uh, what's that last one? It really made an impression on me. The Time Machine, that's it. Um, <laughs> clearly, The Time Machine is the most forgettable of those five. Um, yeah. I'm sure some well stands will come at me with that, but I actually, of all of the books, I think War of the Worlds is probably the best of the five I've read. Um, as far mm-hmm. as Wells as a whole, um, he very much falls into this sort of um, post enlighten or Enlightenment era, post Enlightenment era sort of atheist social socialist sort of area um, where. I, you, you can see it in this book as well with the character of Dr. Kemp, uh, who is the one who actually sort of catches the Invisible Man at the end. Um, I don't, it's not really stated that Dr. Kemp isn't a uh, Christian, which was a you know very common thing at the time that people were Christians, that this was written. Um, but he, he very much seems to be a sort of worldly sort of character. Uh, the, you know, uh, not necessarily posh upper class, but the you know, somebody who is on the cutting edge of science, um, yeah. which is a very common theme throughout Wells's works uh, with the time machine, the time traveler in that is an inventor who travels to the future. Um, and H.G. Wells expounds upon some of his uh, theories about how humanity develops under evolution. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the island of Dr. Moreau, uh, which is about the central figure, Dr. Moreau, and his ghastly creations. Um, I actually found that book quite interesting compared to the rest of Wells' work um, because it seemed to be one of the ones that was most critical of uh, science as a whole. Um, yeah. Another one I did like, uh, the one I liked the most was The War of the Worlds. Um, it is H.G. Wells' critique of um, of the colonialist system of the British Empire. Um, although I somewhat disagree with his conclusion in that where um, the final passage goes something along the lines of um, and I, I don't have the physical book on me because I listen to most of these in audio except for The Invisible Man. Um, so the passage goes something along the lines of um, implying that colonialism is a necessary step in the evolution of mankind and that um, the defeat of the Martians was bought at the hands of the blood of all those dead. Uh, I guess spoilers for uh, War of the Worlds. That's why um, I wanted to take off my headset. <laughs> the Martians uh, get defeated by bacteria. It's been out for like a hundred years at this point. Yeah, come on. Y'all, y'all should get caught up at, by this point. Um, so you know, it, it's sort of like implying that you know, humanity doesn't you know defend the beat off the aliens because you know, of any particular reason. It's just you know. Um, it was bought by the blood of the innocents that died from uh, all those diseases priorly, prior. So, yeah, as a whole, I actually I don't know if I can really recommend many of H.G. Wells' books. Uh, if you are going to read them, I would re- recommend reading The War of the Worlds. Um, I would also recommend The First Men in the Moon, even though I haven't really talked about it much. But the reason I recommend it is after you read those two, I'd say go and read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Um, I'd halfway through it right now and see i picked it up because c.s lewis was directly inspired by h.g wells uh, and those two stories so i would recommend reading those two and then c.s lewis's space trilogy 
Yes, Taylor. You're raising I'm raising my hand. my hand. Just let the record show. Um, was there a War of the Worlds movie with Thomas Cruise? There were Cruise? a couple, that but is, yeah. yeah. Okay, I have seen um, it. I know the general gist. I, uh, I actually haven't world, right? seen any of those. Um, I think I might myself find the ending of those more enjoyable. Um, I think it keeps to the same ending, but it's it, it doesn't imply as much that colonialism was a necessary step in humanity's <laughs> social evolution. Yeah. So, <laughs> No, the Cruise movie does not uh, do that. Good movie, though, um, all other things considered. Um, yeah, Doctor. You mentioned Doctor Moreau. I always thought he would be a really interesting character to have in Unmatched. Um, I think so too. I, yeah, I was about to say the only reason why I know who that is is because people always clamor and shout his name in the Fandex channel. Yeah, he would be cool. I've I've not read the book, but they've done several different adaptations of it. You know, um, Island of Lost Souls. I think is the one I, I actually just watched a few months ago. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty scary stuff. Pretty harrowing. Um, cool. All right. I'm going to toss this to you, Taylor. What did you think, having read the book, right? And now we get to talk about adaptation. And adaptation is a lot of different things. You know, you've got the movies, uh, first and foremost. And with a story this old, there are several film adaptations. I would definitely recommend the old Universal uh, Studios Monster one, which, huge fan. And then there was a, a reimagining of this a couple of years ago that was super, super, super good. Very sci-fi-y. Um, actually, pretty scary, too. Uh, I go to see a lot of horror movies, so it's hard. Like, when I'm in the theater, I don't often get um, scared. But this, like, had some really genuinely good moments. So I, I would love to talk movie. more about that later after we talk about the book. That okay, film, for sure. I really love that one. I want yeah, no. to watch that film. Um, yeah. I don't care about spoilers, though. So. Well, I was about it's... to say, I'm going to spoil it for you anyway, since you spoiled me. <laughs> It's the difference between a couple-year-old movie and, like, a hundred-year-old narrative. Time is a construct. It's all the same. That's that's blatantly a lie. Okay, Dr. Manhattan. Um, But, so, Taylor, what did you think, speaking of adaptation, about this deck's interpretation of the novel? Specifically, let's talk first about the special ability with the fog tokens. Okay, so... (laughs) It's interesting you start with this, because I was going to say, I think the rest of the deck really solid adaptation the ability is not cool we'll Um, expand on that so basically the idea of an invisible man and this gets thrown about in the the book a bunch is that being invisible is an incredible advantage right because your opponent can't see you so just yeah (laughs) (laughs) you'd be able to like hit them run around them run away from them run up to them without being seen at all and makes it very hard to fight someone if you're blindfolded and just swinging wildly at them you know Uh, and so that ability wouldn't necessarily translate to unmatched that well because like the whole point of the game boils down to combat interactions right i attack you you play defense etc if there was a person that you like couldn't attack (laughs) (laughs) like that just wouldn't work for most characters so they kind of abstract his ability into being about the fog tokens and when he's standing on fog kind of like he's obscured a little bit and he gets a defense buff which i think is really funny because even in the novel he points out that like weather is a disadvantage for him and i think ben has the quote here but he says like (laughs) when i'm in fog like it's bad for me so ben if you want to pull that up (laughs) 
Uh, I'll just read the entire paragraph. Uh, so it's on page uh, 114, start of chapter 23 for the copy we're reading. Uh, Nor had I and the snow that, sorry, retake. Nor had I, and the snow had warned me of other dangers. I could not go abroad in snow. It would settle on me and expose me. Rain, too, would make me a watery outline, a glistening surface of a man, a bubble. And fog, I should be like a fainter bubble in a fog, a surface, a greasy glimmer of humanity. Moreover, as I went abroad in the London air, I gathered dirt about my ankles, floating smuts and dust upon my skin, and I did not know how long it would be before I should become visible again uh, from that cause also. But I also clearly... It, but I saw clearly it could not be for long. Yeah, the book, the book, he, he, like the invisible man flat out says, this fog is bad for me. <laughs> I will be caught in it. So, yeah, I, I see your point, Taylor. Uh, definitely. Do you have anything to add, Ben, beyond the quote? Um. So, yeah, beyond the quote, uh, it's, it's, I guess, it gets into a bit of the rest of the deck's design, too. Uh, so his ability for Invisible Man is he can move between the fog tokens and he gets defensive buff in the fog, right? Um, and the Invisible Man, you would expect to be a very defensive sort of um, fighter. But um, as in the deck, he actually has more attacks, uh, more ketchup and mustard than anything else. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because that's actually reflected with how the character works in the novel um, where he doesn't generally play defensive. He's very aggressive, uh, both in manner and tone and the way he talks um, and the actions he takes throughout the novel. Um, so it, it's interesting that they chose the defensive buff ability, but then the rest of his deck reflects his aggressive, his overall aggression uh, that he displays throughout the novel. Yeah, uh, in the novel, he's constantly like, "I'm gonna kick the shit out of you," and then I'm gone. Like, it's, like that's the his modus operandi for 200 pages is, "I'm gonna beat you up when you can't see me and get out." So the defensive buff is kind of funny. Um, thinking about just like the way he operates within the frame of the book. I think the ability is interesting in that regard because not knowing anything about the character, like it makes perfect sense. It's like, oh, like he's invisible. He's hard to hit. Like, oh, he's like, you don't know where he is. So he's traveling through the fog. But like after reading the book, you're just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think mechanically, um, I like what the fog tokens do and that he can get across the board. Like the idea, right, is like you didn't see him leave. And now he's he's completely somewhere else. So yeah, I, I think. I th Sorry to cut in. Um, no, go ahead. I think mechanically speaking, the fog tokens do represent an, uh, the fact that the invisible man is slippery. Um, he can escape uh, in the you know, you know he escapes multiple situations where multiple people are chasing after him. Which, if you're ever being chased after and fighting multiple people, like it's not like in the <laughs> movies, two combatants <laughs> against one, you're going down probably. Yeah, right. Um, so it it it's. Like, they capture that ability of, like, the hidden movement with the fog tokens in a decently well way f uh, for Unmatched. Um, though I would have loved to have seen them try to bolt on hidden movement mechanics, like, from uh, Letters from Whitechapel uh, into this game. That would probably be, like, a little bit much, especially for, like, how <laughs> simple 100%. Unmatched tries to be. But I 
love Fury of Dracula, so I, I would love it. to make a or like have a character like that in the game. Just seems like a little intense for what restoration like yeah. wants out of this. <laughs> I, I think like the decision to use the fog tokens is less um, about this deck and more about the set, right? Yep. You know, like. It fits Column in with fog. like the, it's right in the name. It's in the yeah, it's in the name, Column Fog, but it fits in with like the like CD London, you know, like Soho and like it it makes sense aesthetically with what the set as a whole is trying to do. I disagree. So, oh, okay. Go Where on. are the cobble tokens? <laughs> Checkmate. Checkmate easier. It should just be called Unmatched Fog. Fog. <laughs> <laughs> You heard me here first. Defender Resolve's uh, first exclusive, guys. Should have been called Fog. fog. Not even Unmatched Fog anymore. Just Fog. fog. Well attributed Taylor Baked Goods on this podcast. Taylor, how dare you? I, I that mean, was not a I rhetorical dare. question. I dare. <laughs> um, okay, so, Ben, I see your copy of the book has a gazillion post-it marks in it. Um, and so I have to imagine that some of them are for one of our favorite things to talk about, card titles and what they do. So do you want to point out maybe two or three of your favorite ones? Um, Yeah, so uh, I'll go to the actually the last one I put in. Um, so uh, the... You don't get to it until the very, like, final quarter of a novel of the novel basically um but there is a card in the invisible man's deck which is the bane of many low health fighters existence uh that card is called the reign of terror because it allow it's a scheme that allows invisible man to deal two damage to any opposing fighter anywhere on the map as long as he's standing on a fog token um the reign of terror features um this is a passage from the siege of kent's house um this is when the Invisible Man is taunting Kemp, who is, uh, Kemp sort of acts as the hero of the novel, despite the fact that he's only in the final 50, 60 pages or so. Uh, so you have been amazingly energetic and clever, this letter ran. This is a letter in the Invisible Man sent to Kemp. Though what you stand to gain by it, I cannot imagine. You are against me. For a whole day you have chased me. You have tried to rob me of a night's rest, but I have had food in spite of you. I have slept in spite of you, and the game is only beginning. The game is only beginning. There is nothing for it but to start the terror. This announces the first day of the terror. Fort Burdock is no longer under the queen. Tell your colonel of police and the rest of them. It is under me, the terror. So that is referring to the terror, uh, the reign of terror that the Invisible Man proposed to the same Dr. Kemp uh, a few chapters earlier. Um, that's probably my favorite, like, direct reference to any of the card titles. Um, yeah. Uh, the... um, he, he, like, he calls it specifically a reign of terror um, on 125. Like, when he's talking to Kemp, he's like, here are my plans as the Invisible Man. Like, I must establish a reign of terror. And one thing... I was like that meme, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme, like pointing because a reign of terror is capitalized in the book. Reign, capital, terror, capital on, on 125. Like when he's talking about it, like it's a thing. And I was like, yes, card, title, capital. It was 
I was so giddy. Yep. And the terror is, uh, even though it doesn't say the full Reign of Terror title, but terror, the word is capitalized on that page that I just read from 134, the start of chapter 27. Um, I guess real quick, one other uh, card title that I enjoyed, um, it's never directly verbatim referenced, but the card Coded Notes. Yeah. Uh, yes. After combat, you draw three cards, then put two cards back on top of your deck in any order. Um, for the Magic fans in the audience, that is a Brainstorm effect. Uh, Brainstorm is a Magic card that does the same thing. So um, the fun part is, uh, I'm not going to read a specific passage from it, um, but in the epilogue, they actually reference three vol uh, coded volumes of notes that the Invisible Man had. Um, and that's sort of what the sen novel centers around, for the most part, is the Invisible Man trying to get back his coded notes. Um, so the fact there are three volumes and the coded notes card lets you draw three cards is a win. The only thing that would make it even better is if there were three copies of it. <laughs> yeah, that's like the sequel. That's like the sequel tease in the last paragraph, too, is that uh, Tom Marvel has the coded notes and he's like, I'm going to decipher and figure them out. Like, Except there's um, no sequel. No, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say yes. Yeah. My, um, my favorite part is that the character Tom Marvel, who is kind of this like wanderer tramp character that the invisible man just kind of like stumbles upon and is like, Oh, you, you're my minion now. Um, <laughs> he basically has him carry around his money in these books. Yeah. And he, he like, was, you go. Um, I was gonna say Tom, Tom Marvel before there were fog tokens, uh, he was the sidekick in early stages of development. That would have made sense. Of the I deck. love that. Yeah, so there were no fog tokens, but there it was him and Tom Marvel. Um, and I guess at some point in testing, they just decided like this is not working out, so they cut Marvel completely. And I mean, the thematically, they uh, I really because also... they just made five Marvel sets, John. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. So thematically, I actually think cutting Tom Marvel out as the sidekick makes sense. Like, yeah, yes. he would work as a sidekick option, but the Invisible Man is a solo fighter thrown through. Throw. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have felt really weird, like uh, after reading this book, to have them be partnered up. When like, I mean, three—they're not together like as partners very long. And then Marvel's like, "Deuces, I'm out of here. I'm taking your money and your coded notes." It would have been kind of odd. But I—the whole reason I brought him up, like, I imagine him as this like LeFou character to like the Invisible Man's Gaston, just kind of like this sidekick although like he does not adore the invisible man at all um at the end marvel has the books he has the notes yeah. and he spends like every sunday like reading them trying to figure out the secret and he can't read them so um he says this is from the the epilogue so spoiler alert his brows are knit and his lips move painfully hex little two up in the air cross and a fiddle dd lord what a one for intellect so like tom is trying to read the notes and just he can't make any sense of it which is really funny um and in the there's like a what would you call it like a there's a bunch of footnotes yeah in the mm -hmm. the pages so in the notes at the end in that line it says marvel is trying but is unable to decipher a mathematical formula he can only describe the last symbol as fiddle dd or nonsense <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, that's great. I... Yeah, I, I love the way 
well, like the coded notes are like a pretty big part of the book. Yeah. Like I think even at the start of the third chapter, when he gets his belongings, it says like they're written in indecipherable handwriting um, and they're just present all throughout the game or the, the novel. So I'm glad that they're in the game because of how like it meaningful they were. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you pictured uh, Marvel as like Lifu. He was Tom Waits in my mind for some reason. He he just looked like Tom Waits. That's how I pictured him the whole time. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know who that is. You don't know who Tom Waits is? Here, is it a person or a character? What's a per? It's a a man. A, a man. A person. Tom Waits. Who does Tom wait for? Oh my God! This guy's like kind of. I don't want to say kind of like off-putting to look at, but it's it's this guy, right? That's the guy. American musician. That's the man. Look up old Tom Waits, though. Look up like dirty Tom Waits. I think you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus. He kind of looks like um, Vincent Dananofro. I'm pronouncing D'Onofrio. his name wrong. Dananofro. In um, the first Men in Black, when he's wearing, he's oh. like in that insect suit that's starting to decompose. That's, that's what so, this guy that's, looks like. That's so mean. Tom Waits is never going to listen to this. No, Tom Waits does not listen to Defender Tom, Resolve. What are you talking about? Tom Waits is a regular listener to Defender <laughs> Resolve first. Like, like we'll... that photo, like he kind of looks like he looks like Vincent D'Onofrio combined with Michael Jackson, but yeah, decomposing. Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't have really... He's bald now. I'm going to get an angry email, not just from... You're going to get a cease and desist. From Vincent D'Onofrio when this is done. Hey, Um, Vincent D'Onofrio, if you are listening, I love your work in Daredevil. Yeah, ditto. How do you guys I'd like to touch his bald head. Sorry, keep going. What?! You don't the want to touch I thought that sentence was ending so differently. <laughs> when did we stop talking about Invisible Man? Oh my god. We've gone off the rails. Um, ben, how do you feel about this deck being so scheme-heavy? Um, I think it is perfect, because the Invisible Man constantly throughout the novel is sheeming, and he is sheeming hard. <laughs> he... Yeah, the entire time he's hatching plans, um, and even when you go back into the sequence um, of going through his uh, backstory that led him up to the start of the novel, he's constantly talking about the schemes he comes up with, um, trying to rob the uh, Emporium store, and then eventually um, breaking into the uh, Costumier's house and uh, stealing from the Costumier. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, being so scheme and attack heavy, it, it perfectly fits with his character, as we were mentioning before. Yeah, he's a, he's a wily guy. He's a, he's a wily little dude. Wily fighting, I feel like, actually could have fit in this. But there are it's all unique. It's all unique cards in here. So, um, Taylor, how do you feel about Vanish? Vanish is probably, after reading the book, probably my favorite card. Because, like, the art matches the effect to a a t um vanish for those who don't know is a scheme that says recover one health remove invisible man from the board at the start of your next turn place invisible man in any space so basically invisible man just gets to dip off of the board and your opponent just has no idea where he went and then just gets to like pop up out of nowhere which is 
amazing because in the novel, Invisible Man's strategy is when he's outmatched, drop trow and run. Um, <laughs> he just loses all his clothes. You can't see him because he's invisible. And then poof, he's gone. And the, the art for Vanish is just like a trench coat and some shoes on the ground, which yeah. I, I just, I love it so much because it's just like, oh, good gravy. He's naked. Now he's gone. <laughs> my, one of my favorite images is like near the end when he has the, like the Colonel, um, you know, he's like facing him and all like from his tower up above Kemp looks down and just sees like a floating pistol <laughs> like like and 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 I love he's like I wonder what that is and it's like dude we're at the end of the book you know it's the invisible man holding a gun <laughs> like what are you talking about Ben looks like you've got a quote for us yeah uh so to go along with the vanish art uh so the artwork on the card shows as Taylor mentioned before uh that it's uh you know a discarded uh coat and uh, I can't see what else is there. Yeah, a yeah. Discarded gloves. coat and pair of gloves. Um, and the Invisible Man obviously isn't walking around in an empty coat the whole time. So in the novel, he's actually wearing a bandage around his head with a fake nose, um, just so that way he can appear to be vaguely actually human. Um, but um, we get to a point in the novel. This is page forty of the copy we're reading. Uh, I think during chapter six, seven, sorry, the unveiling of the stranger. Um, so this is when Invisible Man is being uh, accosted uh, by the uh, folks that run the inn that he's been staying at. Uh, and after they sit him down to try to uh, arrest him, uh, abruptly the figure sat down, and before anyone could realize what was being done, the slippers, socks, and trousers had been kicked off under the table. Then he sprang up again and flung off his coat. Um, and then uh, it proceeds for the remainder of the chapter where uh, he takes off his clothes and chucks things from the room at his uh, would-be assailants <laughs> and captors uh, as he makes his escape from the room. So uh, it is a perfect uh, encapsulation of the card vanish and how it yeah. works. You, you know, you mentioned that imagery of him having the, the bandages and the fake nose, um, and that's nowhere in, in this deck's card art. Um, so I was so when I I'm super familiar with the original like a Universal Studios black and white monster movie and he has that look. So before yeah. reading this book and just seeing the deck, I assumed that that was a look created for the movie because it's not represented here. So I was like, "Oh, they probably couldn't do the bandage look like it might be like it must be copyrighted to Universal." But no, like you read the book and it's there. So I'm kind of curious why they didn't go that route with the deck. Oh, what's up, Taylor? Raising okay, your hand. so I have a little bit of lore on the mini for this deck, which I think will explain some of the art. Yeah. Okay. So I forget where exactly this was, but I listened to Rob and or Justin on like a podcast talking about Cobble and Fog. I wish I could actually remember which one it was, but it was probably like two years ago, so I can't. And I remember them talking about how they were going to do the mini the invisible man because there were a couple different ideas they had the first one was just like a blank hero base that would have been amazing and they, <laughs> they were thinking about that and they were like i mean this would be cool he's an invisible man but two problems one it looks like a sidekick token so it might be easy to confuse and two it means he's naked so they were like all right whatever <laughs> it's it, family game uh their 
second option was to have like a man but like with clear plastic and they were also like oh well he's naked family game (laughs) so then they came up with the really genius idea that they have now for the mini which is like clothes with like no person in them so like the hat is connected to the trench coat at the back but there's just like no head there and there's like sleeves that end without hands and it just it is one of the coolest minis in the game because of that detail and so i think this is just speculation of course but once they had that design for the mini they were like okay well now we should have the art matching it instead of having the art kind of like reference the bandages and stuff that wasn't represented with the physical token yeah, I mean that absolutely makes sense because the I think the mini is is quite a con- iconic, right? Like that the floating hat effect, and then he's missing the hand at the end of his sleeve, but they've got him holding a cane, so like you know the hand is invisible. Yeah, so I get that. Like in the interest of having a dope ass mini, they were like they're <laughs> foregoing the bandaged look. Yeah, I I buy that. What's up, Ben? Could you hear me rifling through yes, boxes? Yes. Yeah, we sure I could. apologize. <laughs> we sure could. I was doing that because I was getting my copy of the Invisible Man mini that I painted up. Mm. Uh, oh, that looks Which dope. has him emerging from a bunch of fog. Yeah, that fog <laughs> is great. What is that? I, it's hard to tell on that. It's just a cotton ball. It's fog, Tommy. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My bad. Ben, ben, ben just has, conjured has mastery fog. over fog. Constantly <laughs> controls it around the mini. That's my bad, Ben. Honestly, I, I wasn't familiar with your game. Sorry, okay, I forgive so, you. I wasn't but, familiar with your powers. I also want to say, if anyone from Restoration is listening, which I hope they do, um, please like leave a comment on the YouTube video with how accurate that recollection was. Because again, that's me quoting a memory of a podcast from like two years ago. So, <laughs> yeah. So one one of my favorite parts of the book is that like the big climax is called The Siege <laughs> Dr. Kemp's house. I was like, oh, we, we're about to get legit. And the imagery of him, like, dual-wielding the pistol and then axe, like, walking through the house, like, just floating axe and pistol, I was like, this is the coolest. This is, like, so cool. Um, so I really like, I think the thing that comes closest to that is the surprise attack, like, in, like, capturing, I think, like, the pure aggression and terror that they're going for like in the in the final part of the novel. So, Ben, what what are your thoughts? Surprise attack, floating cane, which I guess is our axe um for the card art and it's cancel all effects on your opponent's guard. Then you have to move a fog token if you're on that that fog token for your opponent. So, as a card, uh I do quite like it, but um while the imagery of the invisible man besieging Dr. Kemp um could be what that card art was referring to, but um, especially given how there's the man with the hat there. I think it's actually a reference to the child. I, th- I think it's a child that he uh, beat with the cane um, prior to that. Oh, the the, chap- yeah, the chapter... Uh, I know what you're talking about. And of course I lost it. Same. It's, <laughs> it's after... Oh, here it is. Uh, the, the Wicksteed murder. The Wicksteed murder, yeah. Yep, chapter the Wicksteed murder, you're welcome, you guys. good job taylor yeah this is why we have him around that's why they pay me the big bucks 
Yep. Yes. Wait, you're getting paid? <laughs> Brother, I'm not 30%, my friend. 30% of zero is still zero. Fine, make it 40. All right, I agree to your terms. You drive a hard bargain. Yeah, the Wicksteed murder was like is like the first instance, right, in the book where he he does actually commit murder. Because he's like, um, before then, he's like, we're going to kill people. But he but he doesn't. As far as I can remember, yes. That's the first in- Because his instance. dad commits suicide when he steals money from him. Yeah. That was, that was sad. I read that line. I, like, processed it. I was like, wait, what? And I reread it. And I was like, oh, my God. It's, like, sad, I guess. But because the Invisible Man does not seem to care at all, like, I also found it hard to care like he was just like yeah then my pa killed himself and i was like all right that was very cavalier of you like can, can i just read that since i just happened to turn to that page go for it unless ben ben were you already on it no you you're gonna you you're good okay so basically at this point the invisible man is talking with dr kemp about like how he became invisible and then at one point he's saying that his studies were interrupted because he ran out of money um and so and after three years of secrecy and exacerbation, I found that to complete it was impossible. Impossible. How? asked Kemp. Money, said the invisible man, and went again to stare out of the window. He turned around abruptly. I robbed the old man, robbed my father. The money was not his, and he shot himself. Like, that's intense. Very intense. It shows, too, that, like, my man was a bad dude pre-invisibility. Yeah. I think it's not just that, though. Um, And this gets a bit more into the themes of the novel, where, and, you know, I can't speak for Wells, but this is how I read it, at least, where throughout, the Invisible Man is pursuing invisibility. In other words, he was pursuing anonymity. He wanted to become nothing, almost. Um, And... You know, he was dreaming of all the things he could do, all the terrible acts he could commit uh, as a, one who was invisible. Um, and if you, if you think about it, right, like a lot of the times with online discourse, you know, folks talk about how, you know, people tend to be more inflammatory online and tend to be more, you know, um, disregarding of the humanity of the other person uh, in a lot of on, online faceless communication, Twitter basically. Uh, There's a reason I'm not on Twitter, by the way. Uh, So, the fact that the Invisible Man becomes more aggressive uh, as he sort of descends into the madness of invisibility, in a way, it's almost like Wells is commenting on, uh, you know, the future push towards anonymity on the internet. Um, In a way, I'm not saying, you know, people should go around putting pictures of themselves up with their name and address and social security number online. That's okay, Ben. I'll do it for you. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Taylor. Um, but I do want to point out that, you know, there is a sense there is a sense of sort of looking to the future, as with any good science fiction, that, you know, this is predicting the result of the internet and anonymity. Yeah. That's a good read. Um, it's a lot smarter than we normally get here on Defender Results first. So oh, I damn, Ben. Dumb it down for... Track. No, I like no. It's good. It's good because we have. I mean, a lot of the people who listen are like actually English teachers. So, 
shout out Petersonian who's going to hear this and like hear some actual English uh, analyzed. What's up? You're like, thanks, Ben. <laughs> yep. Uh, Petersonian, please be kind. I'm not, I don't do this professionally. I'm an engineer by trade. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Um, we, I think we have to, like, we can't talk about this deck and not talk about Impossible to See. So, Taylor, I'm going to lay this up to you. Thoughts on Impossible to See? I think it, again, is kind of like Vanish, where, like, it just makes sense. It's perfect. I don't think I could find, like, a direct quote relating to this card, um, as I'm sure Ben probably has for all of them, but, like, I think a lot of them were just, like, obfuscations, if that's the right word, of just, like, Yeah, some of them things. are. I think this is one of them, too. Like, covert preparation, slip away, emerge from mist, lurking into thin air. Um, vanish. Vanish, true. Um, although there, there was a part where I think someone just said, he vanished, something like that. <laughs> that but, is true. Um, also, so, the word the word confound appears mm-hmm. a couple of times yes. in the book. And I not, was like, not only a couple. I wasn't counting, but confound is a favorite word of the Invisible Man. <laughs> it, it was like, it shows up enough where I was like, it's hilarious that this is a card name. Like, mm-hmm. it's, almost, it's almost like the Restoration team was like, this is the most used word in the novel. We've got to use it. It is. And here's one use of it. Uh, this is Certain First Principles, Chapter 19. What's the matter, asked Kemp, Kemp when the Invisible Man admitted him. Nothing, was the answer. But confound it, the smash? Fit of temper, said the Invisible Man. Forgot this arm, and it's sore. So there we see both confound it and the aggressive tendencies of the Invisible Man on full display. I like, um, going back to Invi- Impossible to See real quick, I like that it's versatile, by the way. I think, it, you know, We've talked a lot about how aggressive he is, but how the special effect kind of plays him defensively. Um, and everybody used him as like everybody uses Invisible Man to play the exhaustion game, um, which I think is just kind of so funny after reading the book because he's constantly like, "I'm gone." Like I said, he's I mean, he's like, "I'm gonna kick you out the, the crap out of you. I'm gonna leave." There's a chapter called "The Siege." Like he's walking <laughs> in, <laughs> like pistol and axe in hand. Like he's not trying to exhaust anybody. Um, so. That is another thematic miss where, um, not miss, but uh, I guess miss on the part of us competitive players, uh, where he is throughout the novel actually the one who is exhausted um, because he can never really catch a good sleep yep. uh, while he's fully invisible. Um, and he actually can't even eat um, because if he, when he consumes food, the food doesn't become invisible until he actually digests it. That Some um, of the best imagery in the novel is around that, I think. Like, yes. in, in, like, um, smoking in the smoke in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, there is... Um, I'm going to try to find a quote on that. But going back to the uh, mini design earlier, I think Restoration should have done the gutsy moves, move of just having a pile... Like, a, a, a sandwich floating above the base. <laughs> That's what they should have done. There you go. Just my, eating his sandwich. My favorite part of that imagery, I think, is when he first meets Tom Marvel. He's like... I'm not completely invisible. Like, what did I have to eat? And Tom, like, looks down and he's like, oh, bread and cheese. Because <laughs> he can, like, <laughs> see it in his stomach. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, Taylor, is there any specific card that we haven't talked about yet that you would like to talk about? Um, Regroup. But, of course, he doesn't have it. Nope. No. <laughs> I did find the passage on uh, yeah, eating food. So this is uh, chapter 23, the very start. 
um, page 114 again in the uh, Passive River reading. Um, it's the very first paragraph. But you begin to realize now, said the Invisible Man, the full disadvantage of my condition. I had no shelter, no covering. To get clothing was to forgo all my advantage, to make of myself a strange and terrible thing. I was fasting, for to eat, to fill myself with unassimilated matter, would be to become grotesquely visible again. And I just love the word choice there. Um, this is why H.G. Wells is one of the uh, great science fiction writers yeah. of the early, uh, late 19th, early 20th centuries. You love to see it. And this kind of like brings up a question like I wanted to ask you guys, because obviously we just talked talked about how he eats food and it's like still visible in his stomach, which like might sound weird to people who didn't read the book. Cause they're like, like, how does the invisibility work? So I was going to ask you guys like what you thought of the quote unquote, like science behind how he actually turns himself invisible. Tommy, I'll let you take this one first, bro. I have no idea, man. Like that's the thing when I, whenever I read science fiction, um, which is not very often, uh, just like like heavy fantasy is not usually my jam. Like I think I see like is that Brent Weeks behind you, Ben? Yeah, see I see that Brent Weeks tomes, um, and I only recognize them because I work in a bookstore and so I know those spines. Um, like I can't do that kind of stuff because once it starts getting like really heavy, science fiction is like this, and like heavy fantasy is like this. When they start using words I don't know. I'm just like, I don't actually need this explained. Like, I'm one of those people who's just like, just say it. And like, I'm not a, I'm not a viewer or a reader who needs extreme amounts of like, like, I'm not one of those guys who's like, I don't know how, if this is real enough for me, which is why I'm not super like huge on Chris Nolan as a director. Um, oh, Taylor's raising his hand. What's I'm that raising about? my hand. One, to point out that I recognize that spine would be very creepy in any context besides a bookstore or library. <laughs> and two, I, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I kind of like need things explained. And oh, man, I, no. I, I want to hear what Ben says about the science of the book. But I, I bought it. I was like, yeah, it's about like light and stuff. And I was like, My you know what? I literally could have said I drank something that <laughs> turned me invisible. And I would have been like, all right, I'm here. Like, I don't need all of that. Just that's me personally as, as like some, you know, the audience. All right. So um, I guess my two cents or maybe $2 on this. Um, I am a heavy science fiction fantasy nerd. Uh, I have uh, from my left to right uh, Wheel of Time, uh, Stormlight Archive, and Lightbringer series right there. And then there's others up here. Uh, that I'm not going to go about through reading, but one of them is Dracula. Um, and then I have a whole bunch of other stuff in my room at various places. Yeah, I haven't even heard of those. Writings. You're so deep into you're so deep so, into this genre, you are the scholar. Thank you. Uh, I try. So fantasy and science fiction sort of ha are two sides of the same coin in my mind. Fantasy doesn't worry so much generally about explaining how things work. Um, there are some authors that do that. For example, Brandon Sanderson, who's currently writing, generally tries to have an in-world explanation for how the magic works. Uh, but then you have authors like Tolkien, who generally speaking, his magic is not explained as much to the reader, and it's meant to be that way. Um, he's trying to build a mythical um, world, a mythical um, feeling around the magic in Middle Earth, um, trying to make it connect to the supernatural and, you know, the Erul of Tar and all of his mythology. Uh, science fiction is a little different, though, the way it approaches it. Um, my favorite science fiction series, 
going on a bit of a tangent, is The Expanse. I'd highly recommend reading it because all of the science in it is hard science. All of it makes sense. Uh, there's some science fiction that falls more into science fantasy. Um, Dune kind of gets into that realm, um, whereas the spice melange is just entirely made up and how it affects brain chemistry. Um, but sort of Frank Herbert's building on other concepts um, that are somewhat plausible, at least. Uh, there. Like giant With the worms. Invisible Man. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love Dune. Keep going. Dune is wonderful. I am looking forward to the second film this uh, November. So, uh, The Invisible Man, um, the way the invisibility works in the book is very much a scientific approach to it, or as scientific as H.G. Wells can get. Um, so, I guess slight spoilers for another one of his works here. Uh, the first men in the moon, the way that they get to the moon there is they create a metal that shields them from the effects of gravity that's it so they build this giant ball out of these this metal that allows them to cut off the effect of gravity with like of um what what is it called like not really uh, yeah windows where you can like adjust the metal like a metal sheet in front of the window or not so that way you can like control the direction the ball flies and it's like this really complicated me mechanism that's complete bogus Gravity doesn't work that way. Hate to break it to you. Um, similarly, you know, pigmentation, it's not something you can just, like, sit in a machine for a little bit and then feel some pain and get rid of it. Um, but it is interesting, the way invisibility is done here, it's implied that the light no longer bounces off of the pigments in his skin, which is how light actually works. Um, I took an optics class couple years ago for my major no no no, not um, for your major for this specific book club for this book you took you're the right. optics I, class. I took an optics class in preparation like last 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 week i was in the optics class for this um so the way light works is it actually uh you know hits objects and then it reflects and refra refracts uh through and off of those objects so if you ever look in a pond or a body of water and you see that things don't look quite right it's because of refraction because when light passes between two different mediums it changes the angle that the light's traveling at ever so slightly uh, reflection is it's absorbed by or some parts of the light are absorbed by the object it interacts with and the rest is reflected that's what you actually see uh, so the way invisibility works here is it just makes it so that none of it is absorbed by his skin anymore, um, which theoretically, I guess, could work as a way of actually becoming invisible. But there is one problem with that. If all of your pigmentation and all of your cells no longer reflect light, you cannot see anymore because the light goes straight through your eyeballs and now you're just blind. So there is oh. one other disadvantage that the invisible man should have, which is blindness. He should not be able to see anything or very faintly you should just see some floating eyeballs floating around um i've actually considered uh, i'm a writer just in my spare time i've considered trying to write a invisible man-esque story uh where the invisibility is more scientifically accurate than this um just because it's 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 funny to have floating pairs of eyes <laughs> moving yeah. around everywhere <laughs> i was gonna say i like how the book kind of addresses that because he tests out the invisibility first on a cat Yes. And the cat's eyes are still visible. And I think they said that, like, the, the cat's, like, night vision eyes, what, what, whatever the scientific term for them, like, wouldn't change with the pigmentation. But that's why his eyes did become invisible, because the anatomy is different from that of a cat. 
but yeah taylor i don't i don't know the actual term but it's like the uh whenever you look at an animal's eyes you see like glowing reflections at night yes um, that's the pigment that he's talking about if i remember remember correctly the tapetum is what it says in the notes tape tongue the cat's eyes reflect light because of this area it is essential for sight that light is refracted through the lens and that the cornea and iris are opaque in order for him to see griffin's eyes should also remain visible as wells admitted in a letter to arnold bennett in october 1897 oh hey look it's there yeah i didn't read the uh notes at the end of it uh, oh i i kind of needed to because there were some like gibberish that i was like referencing and it just made things make sense um i also like how somewhere in the book it says that his eyelids are like translucent or like transparent so he can like see through his eyelids even when he's trying even when he's trying to sleep which just sounds like a fate worse than death yeah that sounds absolutely miserable (laughs) so this is i guess getting into another theme of the novel where you know, the hubris of humanity uh, features strongly in a lot of H.G. Wells's work, um, and it's on display again there, where the Invisible Man wants to become invisible and thinks of all the great things about it, and then, you know, as with not being able to sleep and not being able to eat and having to go around, you know, in his buns uh, out to the cold, it's not a good thing. So yeah. <laughs> I was about to, uh, I'm glad you brought up hubris because this guy is like one of the most egotistical and selfish people on the planet. And like, he thinks he's so smart. He kind of is obviously because he was able to make himself invisible. But like the the book, the, the footnotes actually even point out like how silly he is because before he tests the machine on himself, he tests it on the cat. Before he tests it on the cat, he tests it on some wool fabric. And in the footnotes, it says Griffin can make fabric invisible, yet he doesn't think about making himself invisible clothes, which results in his problems with exposure to weather. <laughs> so it's like he's so smart. He can make the himself notes invisible. Of this book just clowning on yes. his protagonist. They, they took a fat dunk on him. It like, like he's, he's cold and like he, he, he walks around naked at night and he's, he gets a, he gets the sniffles because of it. And the the back of the book is just like, make invisible clothes, you freaking moron. <laughs> that's that's genuinely, genuinely hilarious to me. When I read that, I was like, holy cow. Like, th- they just dismantled this man's entire purpose in like two sentences. Well, I mean, and then it kind of goes back to um, spoilers for the 2019 movie. Um, but that's kind of what they do in the Invisible Man, the new one, right? It's he, it's an invisible suit. Like I don't want to say too much, right? Because it's still a pretty recent film. But mm. well, I mean, at the at this point, this is your warning. We're gonna give you the spoiler warning. We'll we'll talk about the movie now, and we'll give you we'll give you a nice five, four, three, two, one. All right. So in the movie, they <laughs> this like guy is kind of like Ben. He's an engineer and he works with like optic stuff and they make a suit made of like cameras with like screens on them. So basically like, I think the cameras like from the back put on the front, like what is behind the person. Like it's one of those things where it's like, 
yeah sure it kind of makes sense it kind of doesn't when you like look too deep into it but like for the purposes of this movie like it works i think tommy you're giving me like questionable side eyes what did you think about i thought it? it had to do with the like light refraction but it's been four years since i've seen it so i mean it's probably a little I, like, I, thought the the... I didn't watch the movie but i i think i remember seeing stuff about the camera screen suit sort of thing yeah um which yeah taylor doesn't work at all um i'm a miniature painter <laughs> oh, really <laughs> yeah so you know when i try to do non-metallic metals um you know, it only really works from one angle. So if you hold it at a wrong angle, the metallic suddenly look just weird. Uh, but non-metallic metals are fun. What were you gonna say, Tommy? No, that yeah, that movie. Um, I think you got Ben. You should watch that movie. It's pretty good. It it is like there will just be nothing on the screen, like besides yeah, you're, scared, yeah, you're just <laughs> terrified. It's like I. It's the, it's like you know you get a guy behind the camera who knows what he's doing. It's Lewinell, by the way. He's the, he's the director of that. It's he he did Saw, right? Film after he wrote Saw mm-hmm. um, with James Wan. James yeah. Wan directed. He's like a long term partner of James Wan from a writing standpoint. And then um, he actually acts in a couple of his movies too. Like he's in in Insidious is one of the uh, one of the the guys who does the the Ghostbuster type people. He's one of those guys. He has mm-hmm. like a bit role in Aquaman. Um, but his directorial debut was Upgrade, and then The Invisible Man was his second movie, like, behind the camera. And you can see how much his partnership with James Wan over the last two decades, like, paid off, because he'll move the camera, and then he'll hold the camera in such a way that, like, you're looking at a hallway, and you're so scared of the nothing that's in the hallway. It's, like, it's a really, it's, that movie is a master class in like camera movement and just like how important it is to have somebody behind that camera who knows what they're doing. We're like totally off topic of this deck right now. I just got into like film theory with you, but it's a good movie. You guys should check it out. And then I definitely want to throw a recommendation out for the um, universal monsters one, the black and white one with the iconic bandage and fake nose look. Um, It follows like, like a good third of the novel's plot um and then it like veers off pretty quick but like the beginning is pretty good this is a pretty strong adaptation of the beginning of this novel so i was reading it and i was like this is super familiar and then like you hit a point in the book where i was like none of this is in the film now <laughs> we're in new territory but it's good i'd recommend it um the maniacal laughter of the invisible man in that movie is top notch I uh, I also want to shout out to my man David Spade for his performance as the Invisible Man in the Hotel Transylvania franchise. Ex- excellent work there, and I couldn't see him at all. Wow, the Hotel Transylvania franchise. I was I told my my stepdad um, that we were doing this, and he goes he goes, oh like the Kevin Bacon movie, and I was like, uh what? And he's like the movie where Kevin Bacon is invisible and he's not wrong. It's a uh, hollow man. It's called, I looked it up. Uh, it's, it, it's like an invisible man adaptation, but like bad. Like I, I, <laughs> I like, I like watched some scenes on YouTube and I was like, Oh, this is just really not good. And 
And what's going to end up happening here, and I just know it, is I just said that on the podcast, and there's definitely, like, two people on our Discord who are going to listen to this, and they're going to, like, message me and be like, Hollow Man is a classic of early 90s cinema. I'm like can win it now. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ben, ben is writing me right now. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so we went on a whole tangent about adaptations. Taylor, overall, how do you feel about this adaptation of the novel, meaning the deck? Again, like, I kind of hate to say it, but, like, it's not a very good adaptation of this novel in particular. I think the idea works. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's a different Invisible Man from the one that we just read about, if that makes sense. Yeah, what do you think, Ben? Um, I'm going to slightly disagree with Taylor here. I I don't think it's... <laughs> thanks, Taylor. I, I don't think it's an absolute, you know, veering off, absolutely veering off from the path of the Invisible Man we have here. Um, I do think, you know, as we mentioned earlier, the special ability of the Fog Tokens giving him a bo- defensive bonus is a bit of a miss, um, at least for me. And, but, you know, allowing the teleportation works maybe if it was like add one to your defense when you're not on a fog token that would work better um for me at least and then you know still require him to be on fog for a bunch of his effects and how as we mentioned earlier how scheme and attack heavy it is like a full 50 percent of the deck is a scheme or an attack card um and then if you add in the two impossible to seize to that which are usually used as you know free four damage um that's over half the deck that you generally want to be attacking with um so I think as a whole, it actually does reflect the character of Griffin from the novel very well with how aggressive and uh, angry he is. I think um, the biggest miss for me is the the use of like the fog tokens, um, even though mechanically I like what they do aesthetically. I think actually aesthetically is it's like the whole the whole deck aesthetically doesn't work for me as an adaptation of this book, even though as like. A deck by itself, I love it aesthetically, and within the context of this set, I love it. As an adaptation of the book, I think it um, it misses the mark, especially because to me that that imagery of the bandaged up head, like I think it's so iconic, um, and so to know that that's in the novel, but not in this deck is like a big miss for me. Um, even though I I get the explanation that that you gave Taylor, because the mini is is top tier. Like, it's a really cool design, and it works, and it's, like, a new version, and I think it's great. But since we're talking about it as an adaptation, I'll say that. I like the, you know. Yeah, I, I would like to see, like, an alt art version of Reign of Terror, where it's the Invisible Man unwrapping his face, his head, yeah. to reveal nothing underneath. Yeah. Um, that that would be a cool, cool card art if somebody can put that together. Yeah, I mean, and you could make it look kind of like there's the... um. The Sattler card with the DNA spirals. Mm-hmm. Like, I imagine it to be something like similar to that, but then there's just like the hollow head in there. Yeah, I think that would be that would be really neat. I think there's a lot of stuff you could have done with this aesthetically. The cane um appears a lot, even though it's only in that one chapter, because then like he's using like he kills somebody with the that axe. cane. Yeah. Yeah, but then he's he discards it right axe. next to them. Yeah, so. right next to the body. And then he's got like the axe. So I think aesthetically there's like some stuff to be desired but like mechanically i think it works pretty well um it might be a little more defensive 
in terms of like how they use the fog tokens but the plus one defense and then the fact that we all tend to think of this as like an exhaustion deck is like is kind of not what that character is about um but other than that like you know it's good it's really just like the art i think that is a miss for me this works yeah i don't want to sound like too harsh i agree with what most of ben said uh about how like the aggressiveness the scheme heaviness and yeah the attacks but i like what tommy said where like i don't think they necessarily like guided us down that like path of having that play style for this character because right everyone plays him as mega turtle defense man whereas like <laughs> yeah well yeah i don't think i think maybe other than like john zero skater like i don't ever i don't think anybody really goes to invisible man and thinks like i'm gonna have a really aggressive play style this game so i'm going to pick the invisible man which i like i think that could be a a miss on our part more than it is restorations i'm not sure but um i i don't know this i'm really glad that we did this character for book club because this is like i really like this deck so much and um i used to play this all the time like at home and then the main guy that I play with, his name is Tony. Um, and he, Tony. He banned, Tony, Tony. <laughs> he, banned, he banned it. He was like, I am sick of playing against this character. Because um, he hates, you know, because he just like Invisible Man hops around. I had so much fun with that. And he was, he was not about that life. So, so I don't, he doesn't hit my table as much anymore. Because like, I know that if I pull him out, my friend is not going to have fun. But I, I love this guy. Yeah, I will say one other thing that works with the adaptation aspect for me. Um, the fact that the fog tokens are your escape tool, but they're so easy for your opponent to corral all together, it actually kind of works yeah. in a way. That's because a really good point. You, like, f- during the Invisible Man's escape up to uh, Ipping, or Iping, rather, um, that he retells to Dr. Kemp, you know, he constantly is slipping away and stuff like, you know, you, like you do early game with the Invisible Man with all the fog tokens being spread out. But as the game goes on, those fog tokens tend to get clumped up and it, it's harder and harder for you to slip away and slip outside of the uh, net that your opponent's casting, which is exactly what happens in the novel. Yeah. And then he gets the crap beat out of him by a mob and dies. Um, speaking of- <laughs> Jeez, you're just going to drop that I mean, that, that kind of happens in it the does game happen. too. Yeah. Um, speaking of... Of the science earlier you mentioned uh does it hold any water that when he dies his pigmentation would come back no uh no. if somehow you were to affect your pigmentation with the ability to uh either ref- refract or just not reflect light uh when you're dead your, your body's gonna be lost somewhere like no one's gonna find you i'm yeah. sorry you're not gonna get a funeral like, just don't become invisible, guys. I think that's the key takeaway here. That let's, was one thing I did not like. I was like, I was like, why? Like, why? Let's let's English teacher this a bit and think about what he's trying to say. Maybe that in death, one's accomplishments can really truly be seen, or we're not re- we're not recognized until we're dead. How about that? Or maybe that in death, your ding dong is exposed to the world. <laughs> you know, I don't know. About nope. that one. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> um, but I bet, I bet that there is, there's probably a thematic reason that when he dies, he becomes like, and in death, people can see him now. Like maybe so he was just a I man would say, all along. So I, 
<laughs> I, I do think there's some thematic weight to that. Um, if you think about it right, he spends the entire novel trying to evade the view of humanity. He's trying to, you know, effectively remove himself from the participating in the rest of humanity. And at the end of it, when he's finally caught, he is forced into participation with the rest of humanity in, in some ways, the most violent way possible with his death. And, you know, even though Dr. Kemp tries to save him as he's dying, he sort of returns to the world of the visible um, with that method. Ben, you are so smart. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the book club, for real. I'm making Taylor and I look like schlubs. I, d I don't do that to you. Hey, I don't need any help looking like a schlub. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor does not help his own. My goodness. I think, I think that, yeah, this is a good point to, to wrap her up, fellas. Um, this was fun. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, ben, Thanks for being our Wells expert and also the You're smartest welcome. person in the room tonight. I, nope. Like, big appreciation. Big ups. Uh, Taylor, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for showing <laughs> up. That's all he gets. <laughs> Attendance is 100% of the grade. No, thanks for, thanks for showing up. Uh, and Ben and I, I think, had a lot of fun watching you smile throughout. Uh, you know, when we do these book clubs, I, I usually come in, you know, I'll like say something here or there. Taylor makes jokes and our guest is usually <laughs> the expert. So um, I'm really liking this formula. It takes a lot of pressure, I think, off Taylor and I. So Ben, thanks so much for, for being our guy, you know, and, and um, helping guide this discussion. Anytime. All right, guys. Well. Uh, as they say, uh, the defender raw resolves first. Oh, Ben, what's that? Real quick, are, yeah. are we? Do we get to plug things? Oh shit! Yeah, sorry. Plug something, Ben. What you got? Taylor, you go first. I go first. Okay. Yeah. Well, my name is Taylor, aka Baked Goods, aka the Gremlin, aka the Menace, aka the Man with the Cactus Cup. You can find me at YouTube which is just baked goods. Look for the cow profile picture. I'm also on Twitter, Twit, not Twitter. I'm also on Twitch. Uh, fuck Twitter. Let's go. Uh, Twitch and Instagram at baked goods unmatched. And yeah, you, I, I don't want to sound like a cock, but like, you probably know who I am. <laughs> so Taylor is the cow. Yeah. Uh, so I do stream occasionally, but I really only stream like my uh, matches for summer of legends and winter of champions. Uh, when I play them, just because I'm not about that streamer life. Uh, but I will say, I will plug this. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Zero Skater, you're hearing it here. I have been working out. I challenge you to a unmatched boxing match at Gen Con. What? What? Defender Resolve's first exclusive? We have a, a call-out? Tell me, Ben, what's that going to entail? Nothing, because I'm actually afraid of him. <laughs> <laughs> You had me in the I just first wanted half. to do that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. That was a great thanks for coming, guys. You guys have a good night. You love to see it. You love to see it. <laughs>